Last month, I officiated two funerals from the same family. First, it was the mother, who was 85 years old at that time, and she went home to be with the Lord unexpectedly. During that time, there was a lot of restriction as to the number of people that can congregate at a funeral, and that was 10 people. Very limited uh, family members and friends attended. A week later, her daughter, who was five years younger than me, uh, she was staying in a nursing home and contracted uh, COVID-19. And very unfortunately, uh, about a week later, she went home to be with the Lord. It was uh, really a sad situation. And during these times of death and funeral, it causes me to reflect. And I ask myself, what really matters in life? Matter of fact, uh, a month ago, Ellie said to me, you know, what, what what if I died? from this virus, and what's going to happen? Again, it caused me to ask, what really matters in life? This morning passage addresses a man that is taking a holistic view of life. He was thinking about what matters in life. He approaches God with two requests, asking that God would answer them before he dies. Now, if you were given two requests, what would you ask God for? What would you want God to help you change? Maybe some of us might say, well, you know, Lord, can I I be just a little smarter? Or can, can I be more eloquent? Or... Some of you might say, well, can, can, can you give me a, just a higher paying job? Or someone might say, well, if I could have better behaved kids, that would be great. Or some others might say, well, Lord, if you provide me a spouse. I'm sure there are many different requests. But the vital question is, What matters most in life? Today, uh, we will uh, take a look at those two requests from the author of Proverbs chapter 30. But before we get to these two requests, he will give us a little glimpse of who he is, as well as how he view who God is. You know, when we truly understand who we are and in relation to who God is, then we understand what matters most. We will then make the right request. In my sermon today, there are three major points. First point is understanding who we are. And secondly, 
understanding who God is. And then thirdly, understanding what matters most. So Solomon uh, completed his words of wisdom in the end of Proverbs chapter 29. However, that's not the end of the book of Proverbs. There's still two more chapters, chapter 30 as well as 31. And they're a separate discourse to the main body of Proverbs. Now, these two final chapters of wisdom were written by Edgar and Lemuel. Well, let us turn to Proverbs chapter 30 and look at verse 1. And it says, The words of Edgar, son of Jacob, the oracles, this man declares, I am weary, O God. I am weary, O God, and worn out. Here in verse 1 introduces the author, Edgar, whom we do not know much about because this is the only place um, in all of the Bible that he's mentioned here. We do know that he's weary and that he's worn out. Let us take a look in verses 2 and 3. Here, Edgar describes who he is, which leads us to the first point as to understanding who we are. Beginning verse 2, it says, Surely I am too stupid to be a man. I have not the understanding of a man. I have not learned wisdom, nor have I knowledge of the Holy One. Here, Edgar acknowledges his frailty. There are four descriptions recorded here. First, he says that he is stupid. Well, not many of us will call ourselves stupid. That, that word stupid um, gives the understanding that someone with an intellect as dull as an animal. My goodness. Secondly, he says that um, he has not the understanding of man. Well, that really means that he doesn't have an understanding about life. And thirdly, that he lacks human wisdom as well as, fourthly, that he lacks knowledge of the Holy One. He claims here that uh, he has a lot of limitations. You know, to be wise, one needs to acknowledge that he does not have wisdom and look to God for wisdom. Well, Hagar, here, either has a really, really poor self-esteem of himself, or he is a sincere, humble man. I believe the latter. It is crucial what his posture is like when he stands before the Lord. I was talking to a very influential executive where he oversees hundreds of employees. I couldn't believe uh, when I heard from him through a conversation where he says, you know, I, I really don't know what I'm doing. I said to myself, 
he is either has a really poor self-image of himself or that he is a very sincere, humble man. And I believe it is the latter. You know, as I have gotten older, the, as I got more older, I realized how much I really do not know. I used to be a young whippersnapper, thinking that I know everything. But now, I've come to understand how limited that I am. Well, I had to eat a lot of humble pie before I come to learn that important principle. I believe that when we see ourselves lowly, we'll have a greater desire to depend upon the Lord. Edgar is a humble man confessing his limitation. We see in Proverbs 15, it says, The fear of the Lord teaches a man wisdom, and humility comes before honor. And, and, and Jesus talks about the importance of humility. He, he teaches that the first will be last, and the last will be first. If you want to be great, you need to be the servant of all. Therefore, if we really want to know what matters most, we first need to come before God in a humble posture. How do you view yourself? Do you see yourself as a know-it-all? Or do you see that you're really not that smart after all? This leads us to the second major point of the sermon. That is to understand who God is. There are two sub-points underneath here. See, we come to understand who God is from God's creation as well as from God's word. Let us look at verse 4. It says, Who has ascended to heaven and come down? Who has gathered the wind in his fists? And who has wrapped up the waters in a garment? And who has established all the ends of the earth? Who is his name? And what is his son's name? Surely you know. Agur here. Just said at the end of verse 3 that he has not learned the knowledge of the Holy One. And here in verse 4, we see that he was asking the, the first, he started asking four rhetorical questions that points to God. Well, surely there's no human being that's gone up to heaven and come back down. And surely... No human has gathered the wind in his hands. And surely, no human created the world. And the, the only possible person that it could refer to is God, the creator of the universe. Now, although Edgar did not know the Holy One, yet deep inside, I see here, he has a desire to know him. He's seeking to know God. The Bible does say that 
if we seek him, that we will find. And from the creation of the world, he could sense that there has to be a supreme designer that created the universe. Now, although he considered himself to be uneducated, unwise, untaught the truth, yet he recognized the wonders of creation. He was crying out for someone to answer him as he asked, what is his name? We see here that God reveals himself to Agar by general revelation. See, God made himself known to every human being through nature, through the creation that he has made. From Romans chapter 1, verses 19 and 20, it says that we are without excuse in knowing that there is a supreme designer that has created a universe. Let me read these two verses to you. Romans 1, beginning verse 19. It says, For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attribute, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived. Ever since the creation of the world in the things that has been made so that they are without excuse. Here basically it says the world just did not come into being by chance. From looking at the complexity of the universe, there has to be a master designer. We don't have an excuse in knowing that. And when we look at the universe a little bit more closely, we can see how small that we are in relation to the grand, majestic creation of God. Well, back in 1990, the Voyager was sent out to take pictures of the solar system traveling at 40,000 miles per hour. That's it hits away from the sun. Now, 30 years later, it has passed Pluto, which is the last of nine planets in our solar system. That is really far away. It took 30 years for it to get to that point. Well, the Milky Way is the galaxy that the solar system is in. However, if we compare the solar system in relation to our galaxy, it is like the size of a quarter in the area of North America, which includes the United States and Canada. Can you imagine if you had to find that quarter in that big body? Well, you see, the Earth is really like a dot in relation to the solar system. And the solar system is like a dot in relation to the galaxy. And the Milky Way, which is the galaxy that we're in, is only one of billions 
of galaxies in the universe. And that reminds me from Job chapter 37, verse 14. It says, hear this, O Job. Stop and consider the wondrous work of God. You know, as I think about that, that just kind of blow my mind. I say, my goodness, how vast, how grand, how overwhelming is God's creation. And we can come to understand who God is from his creation. You know, as we step back and see the grandeur of God's creation, we are just a little speck little peon as one of seven and a half billion people that live on the planet earth we seem to be so very insignificant however the bible says that the that god the creator universe loves us and wants to have a relationship with us he sees that man cannot save Himself, And God sends his only begotten son to die on the cross to pay the penalty on behalf of us so that we might be redeemed. Not only did Jesus die, but he rose again showing that God has accepted what he has done for us. And if we place our faith in Jesus, we will be saved and become a child of God. It is not because of who I am, but because of what God has done. It is not because of what I have done, but because of who God is. God values you and me so very much that he sent his son to die for us. In Psalms 19.1, it says, The heaven declares the glory of God, and the skies above declares his handiwork. Through the creation of the universe, man is without excuse in knowing that there is a creator. The last two questions from Agur. He says, What is his name? And the name of his son. Well, the answer to that first question clearly is God. Agur does not know the identification of his son. However, we do know that it refers to Jesus, the Son of God, who came down from heaven and ascended back to heaven after the resurrection. Jesus answered Nicodemus in John 3, verse 13. And he says, No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. Agur has come to understand who God is from God's creation, as recorded in verse 4. And we also can come, he come to understand who God is from God's word, as this recorded in verses 5 and 6. Let's take a look at those two verses. Every word of God proves true. It is a shield to those who take refuge in him. 
do not add to his word, lest he rebukes you and you be found a liar. See here, Agur recognizes God's word is true. This word truth is literally means pure. This word uh, is used for metal that are refined, that it, that's tried by fire. When God's word is tested, it is proven to be true and authoritative. It is through God's word that we'll come to know God more personally. And we can accept it as truth without error. Agarek's experience God personally, as he sees God as a shield. This is a great metaphor of God as a protector over those who place their dependence upon him. See, God will protect all of those that trust in him. We have to take the initiative to take refuge in him. And when we do, we can be assured of being saved. Last fall, um, in the father-son retreat, there was an archery game where the dads uh, uh, were playing against their middle school sons. The dads were on one side and, and the sons were on the other. And they uh, were to shoot arrows with cushions at the end of the tips to try to hit each other. Well, there were barriers uh, that were set up on different places. And, and if one gets behind the barrier, it, it becomes like a shield that will protect them from being hit. And as long as one of the players would take refuge behind that shield, well, he is safe. See, God is our shield. And when we take refuge in him, we can find protection and safety. And because God's word is true, anger warns those who tamper with it by, by adding to it. They will be severely judged. God's word is a reflection of who God is. God also makes similar warnings. We see this in Revelation chapter 22, verses 18 and 19. Let me read that for you. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy... God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. See, God has revealed general revelation about himself through creation and specific revelation about himself through his holy word. See, general revelation enables us to know that there is a God as we look in God's great and magnificent creation, that he is the master designer. But that does not and is not sufficient to save us. 
It is the specific revelation of God's word that is necessary, that points us to the person and work of Jesus Christ on the cross, which provides us with salvation. And because of the relationship that Edgar has toward God, he is confidently, he is confident to ask two critical requests before he dies. And those two things matters the most in life. We come to the third point of the sermon, and that's understanding what matters most. Let's take a look in verses 7 and 8. It says, Two things I ask of you, deny them not to me before I die. <laughs> Remove far from me falsehood and lying, and give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me. See, before one can truly understand what matters most, we need to have a proper understanding of who we are and who God is. And because Edgar comes in a humble posture before the Lord and recognizes his authority and his power, Edgar is able to go to the Lord with requests of what matters most. It shows what priority Edgar has in his life because he has a proper view of himself as well as a proper view of God. The writer here recognizes his weaknesses and he turns to the Lord to help him deal with these weaknesses before he dies. He sees the bigger picture of life and understands what matters most. We see here the first request that he asks of the Lord is that he asks for integrity. See, Edgar asked God to remove all dishonesty and lying from him. He wants to be a man of character who lives by integrity. The more Edgar learns from God's word, which is, which is truth, the more he does not want anything to deal with falsehood. This might be an area of weakness. For Edgar, where he is tempted to lie. Now, we are tempted to lie also. Various times, we might see our peers using white lines to get their ways. We feel justified to do likewise. Plus, you know, a little lie won't hurt anybody. Others are advancing because they're not telling the truth. They fudge some of the information to get ahead. We might feel that we are getting the short end of the stick if we do not lie also. Maybe some of our classmates are cheating. And if we don't cheat, they're going to get in front of us. One of the things that matters in life is integrity. 
See, character is much more important than our position. Honesty is the hallmark of life. Integrity will last. Well, the second request is recorded in the second half of verse 8. It says, Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me. In short, anger is petitioning for contentment. He asked God to provide what he needed. He realized that if he had too much, he will forget the Lord and will depend upon himself. Edgar understands the power of greed. Too often, money controls us instead of us controlling money. Money in itself is neutral. It's neither good or bad. But if we're not careful, we would want more and more because we've been deceived by lies that says that the more that we have, the happier we will be. We do not hear about uh, contentment taught very frequently, but I believe it is one of the most important biblical principles. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6, it says, But godliness with contentment is great gain. See, godliness is seeking to be conformed to God's standards. And the Bible says here, the godliness with contentment will assure you great gain or success. Very few people have learned to be content because we have been deceived by another line that says your net worth determines your real worth. As a result, we strive to get more and more. You see, true contentment lies in our relationship with God. It is believing that God is enough for us to have a meaningful life. Seek neither poverty nor riches. May we be satisfied with what we have, which is to be content with what we have. The second half of 1 Timothy chapter 6, which we just talked about in verse 6, addresses the principle of contentment. Matter of fact, if we look at 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17 and 18, it gives some practical advice as to how we can be satisfied with what we have. And it reads in verse 17, As for the rich in this present age, Charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainties of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, and be generous and ready to share. See, money can be an idol where we put our hope in. 
Unfortunately, it says here very clearly that our riches are very uncertain. We have seen the stock market plummet a couple of months ago. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, it says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. When money is our idol, we get obsessed in wanting more and more because we've been deceived by the world. We focus on ourselves and we cling on so, so tightly of that which we have. And we need to remember that all that we have, it comes from God. He has entrusted it to us to manage. And we need to learn to be content when we move away from focusing on ourselves, clinging on to those things that we have, instead we are to put a focus on others. The scripture says here that we should be rich in good deeds and be generous and ready to share. It is when we are able, we are able to be content when we share the resources that God has entrusted to us. Last month, I was amazed to see some of our members uh, giving generously to help a brother. One of our members, Jonathan Ting, came down with nasal cancer and needed a large sum of money to start his uh, treatment, which the insurance uh, would not cover. And brothers and sisters gave generously to cover his costs within a few days. When we can share freely with others, it unlocks the chains that can cause us to be slaves to money. Instead of hoeing what we have tightly, may we have an open hand policy. Turning to God says, Lord, this is yours. May it be used to please you. You know, today, I want to inform you of a great opportunity for us to help the poor. You see, in, in our country, the government has stepped up to help those that are greatly affected by the COVID-19. However, in third world countries, particularly those that are very, very poor, like Myanmar and Laos, these people do not have the means to deal with the pandemic. XCC has partnered with Christian National Evangelical Commission to provide love gift packages for the poor in these third world countries. Each packet consists of rice and oil and food items, soap and vitamin. It costs $22 a packet. And you may, uh, 
and may ye, and may we be willing to share generously with those that do not have much. You can gather more information about it in the announcement. Now, from the third point, we said that understanding what mattered most, Edgar provides two requests. That is explaining verses 7 and 8. And then as we go to verse 9, it provides the reason why Edgar does not want, want to either extremes of poverty and wealth. See, each extremes has his danger. Well, let's take a look in verse 9. Lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. The reason why he does not want to, to be rich is because it will cause Edgar to be proud. He will deny that this wealth that he has received is from the Lord. Instead, he will claim that it is out of his own personal abilities, his own smartness. It is easy to be independent from God and not need him. He would have a self-sufficient attitude. This is one of the ways that Satan uses to redirect us away from God. Instead of being grateful for God, we believe the lie that states that we do not need God. On the other hand, if he lives in poverty, then he is tempted to steal. You know, if we are poor, we also are tempted to steal. And we might steal by cheating on our tax return or misuse petty cash. Or, as a young person, might take money off of their parents' dresser. These actions will dishonor God. That is the last thing that Edgar wants to do because he has a high view of God. He just wants enough to satisfy his needs. And when we are dishonest, we profane the name of God. We believe the lie that says that God doesn't care about us and that he will not provide for us. But as we study in this passage, what matters most is that we should pursue integrity, and contentment. We will not come to these priorities of what matters most until we truly understand who we are and understand who God is. May we humble ourselves before God, acknowledging that we are not that smart and that we need God. At the same time, we understand who God is from God's creation as well as from God's word, that he is the creator of the universe, and that he is the shield to those who take refuge in him. 
And by understanding who we are in relation to who God is, we can understand what matters most.